praise you this day. We worship you. And we ask you now to grant us grace as we delve into your word. We ask you, Lord, that your word would inspect us. I pray, Lord, as your appointed minister of this church, that you would grant me the grace that I need to preach your word faithfully in a manner which is pleasing to you and beneficial to your blood-purchased flock. In the mighty name of Christ, the great shepherd. Amen. Well, it is Mother's Day. As I was taught in seminary, you can forget Father's Day, Dr. Chapel told us, and you'll be okay. If you forget Mother's Day, they will skewer you. He also then said, you cannot wear a bolo tie east of the Mississippi, but you may wear a bolo tie west of the Mississippi. This is during one of his more practical lectures in Preaching 101, teaching us how to delve into the Word of God. And what happens on Mother's Day is pastors are faced with a quandary. What do they do? One of my pastoral colleagues, one of his hobby horses, one of his pet peeves is every Mother's Day you can go into almost any evangelical church and hear a nice syrupy sermon about the beauty and wonder of motherhood and then a few short weeks later go to Father's Day and have the fathers bashed over the skull with the Bible for all of their human foibles and failings. And you know what? That's very true. It really is true. And in a very real way, I told him, that's proper. In case you haven't noticed, men are held much more accountable than women in the scriptures. Whether we like that or not, that's the way God set up the universe. Not because we're physically larger, or certainly not because we're mentally more acute, but because that's just the way God has set it up. And what often happens on Mother's Day is that if you're not a mother, you view the sermon as a nice way to take a little 25 or 30 minute rest. I'm not a mom. This isn't going to apply to me. Well, what kind of a sermon would do justice to God's word if it only applied to one category of persons in the, in the sanctuary? What I have to say to women today, mothers, is applicable in one way or another to all of us. I'll get to the dads in a couple of weeks. I'm the father myself, so if I beat you up, it's okay. I'm beating myself in the process. But mothers today really do have an awful lot on their plate. They always have. I had one English professor in college said that I can sum up Western civilization for you in a few brief sentences. Men go off to war and die and women clean up the mess. There you have it, Western Civ 101 through 400. That's what it's all about. All those wars, the women are left behind to clean up the boys' mess. Truer words were really never spoken. But today, it seems to me that the pressures on mothers are growing exponentially. Soccer practices, dentist appointments, etc., etc., etc. I speak to young mothers, older mothers. They all seem tired. Now that I think about it, when I was a boy, my mother always seemed tired. She had to raise five of us alone. She had an awfully good excuse for being tired. What makes motherhood so draining? 
at least in the modern day, I think it's because there are so many competing priorities. One minute you're dealing with a kindergartner and then you blink your eyes and five minutes later, that child is a junior in high school fretting over college placement exams. The time just seems to vanish into thin air. And in between that, there are so many things to do. Appointments for this, appointments for that. And the pressures on children today are enormous. Childhood is rapidly vanishing in our culture. Children are sped up and pushed much farther in their early years than they were in previous generations. So many competing priorities. How does a mother or a father or a child decide which is best, which is most important, which is of most paramount significance? What really matters? Mom, listen. Fathers, you listen to, and children, you listen. There's really only one thing that truly matters at the end of the day. And those days will go by quickly. They will evaporate. We tell our children the time will go by quickly. And they look at you as if you're from Mars. Because we know that childhood goes by so slowly. But then it's gone. And you wish you could grab it back. Many of us would give a dear sum to be able to go back to our childhood years or our high school years and do one or two things differently. And we have things to fret about, don't we? Let's think about the commandments just for a moment. Mother certainly wants to teach her children not to steal. Generally speaking, that's a very good virtue. And the opposite of thou shalt not steal is thou shalt work. We want to instill in our children a healthy work ethic. That's very important. We do want to teach our children thou shalt not murder. And the opposite of that is Thou shalt do everything that thou canst do to assist thy neighbor with their physical needs. Hmm? And of course, every mother's favorite. Honor thy father and thy mother. And sometimes when parents bellow that, we can almost sound, Almost sound like Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, that deep baritone voice. Honor thy father and thy mother. Actually, it was Alexander Scorby in the movie who did that. We love that one, but what's the opposite of honor thy father and thy mother? Remember, each commandment, if it's phrased negatively, has a corresponding positive. And if any dictate in the scriptures is posed as a positive, it has a corresponding negative. It has two parts. The parent's role in the fifth commandment is thou shalt be honorable. Now, what does the word honor mean? We have to remember this was a hard money culture. They didn't have paper money. To honor means to give weight to. So, for instance, we sometimes we uh, trick children. We ask them, what's heavier, a pound of feathers or a pound of gold? And very often a child, depending on their age, will say, oh, a pound of feathers. And you repeat it back to them. And it takes about three times to say, oh, a pound is a pound. But now what's worth more, generally speaking, a pound of gold or a pound of nickel? Generally speaking, gold. You give weight to the gold. 
It's a hard money culture. To give honor to means to literally give weight to. Therefore, to be honorable is to be weighty. To have that honor. To be burned, if you will, in the refiner's fire, in the crucible of experience and Christian sanctification to the point where your children will want to honor you. Now, there's no guarantees that that will occur, but it's incumbent upon the mother, I'm talking to mothers here, and the fathers, to be honorable. Okay, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Yes, but how? How do I go about doing that? I still have all of these competing priorities. I have to be a gourmet chef. I have to be a career woman. I have to have a house that looks like the Metropolitan Museum of Art without a, a speck of dust in it. My children need to be scrubbed and shiny and fluent in three or four languages, hopefully by age 10. How do I choose which is most important? Is it important that the child gets into a good college? I don't think any of us would disagree about that. But what's the bottom line? It's the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, who has brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Can you think of anything that would trump that? Mom, that is your primary teaching responsibility. To teach your children to understand and obey the first commandment. Because if your children don't get that right, then nothing will matter at the end of their lives. They might get multiple degrees, multiple laurels in their field, multiple bank accounts, multiple cars, multiple homes, but if they have fallen away from the faith, then it will be all for naught. Remember that reading from Proverbs 31, the background of it most certainly was Solomon. That great king of Israel, the allegedly the wisest man who ever lived, started out like no king has ever done and really chased after foreign gods and foreign women for the vast majority of his life and he's given short shrift from there on in. He's not held up as the great exemplar. In the history of Israel is that there are very, very few good kings. And in the northern kingdom, there was really only one that was even partially good. Because they forgot the first commandment. The essence of the first commandment is the gospel. That there is one God. That he exists in three persons. And that his son, the second person of the Trinity, died to set sinners free from the wrath of God. That is the essence of the first commandment. And if your children get that right, then it doesn't matter if their career stutters. It doesn't matter if they don't have three cars. It doesn't matter if they don't get into an Ivy League school. They can have all of those things, and those things are fine if they come from the hand of God, but if they come at the expense of their faith, then what good is it really? 
Because if someone walks away, let me just be very, very blunt. If someone walks away from the first commandment, there is no hope for them. Our God is not a tolerant God. He's a jealous God. He is the only God. He refuses to be worshipped via idols. And he refuses to allow his children to walk after other gods. We, the worship of God is not a buffet table. Each of us has favorite dishes. You go to a buffet, I promise you, if I ever go to a buffet with you, I will not ever touch the beets or the chickpeas. They will not be found on my plate. It won't happen. You may eat them if you'd like, but I will not. I just don't like them. But when it comes to the worship of God, we don't have a buffet table. It's not a la carte. There is no menu. He's the only choice. If we don't like it, then we have serious problems. That first commandment structures our entire life. It should structure our entire Christian life. It proves our fidelity to God. God is faithful to His people. Will we not teach our children to be faithful to Him? To be true to Him? Maybe you've heard the word infidel used. The Islamic faith likes to use that towards us and towards, well, every other religion. We're infidels. What does that mean? That means you lack fidelity. You have veered from a specific course that is viewed as an objective moral standard. And when you break that first commandment, you truly are an infidel. You are breaking faith. You are breaking trust. You are breaking the bond of love and covenant with God Almighty. And that is, that's disastrous. Because if you get that one commandment right, you can't get the second commandment right. And if you get the first and second commandments right, it doesn't matter if you get the other seven correct. It doesn't matter if you don't steal It doesn't matter if you work hard if you're worshiping a false god. Now, obviously, those who worship the true God aren't allowed to steal. That's a basic presupposition. All right? But that first commandment has to come first. The foundation has to be solid. What does Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Paraphrase here. If anyone hears my words and believes them, He will be like the one who built his house upon the rock. Well, the one who hears my words and does not believe them is like one who built his house upon sand. The wind and the storms came and blew that house away. It's very difficult to rebuild foundation of a house or a large building. It's very difficult. I'm not in the construction trade, but I know that it's probably easier to fix a roof than to fix a foundation. Because you have better access to it. If our children do not get their proper foundation early in their life, we will have to do corrective foundational work as their years go by. And it's more difficult. It's very wise to teach children it's not good to do this or that because of this or that reason. 
And the book of Proverbs is replete with practical advice. You can almost see the father in the book of Proverbs taking his son to the red light districts and saying, look, this is what happens to you when you live this way. This is what will occur. You will end up like that. Does that look like a pretty picture? No, it doesn't. We need to teach our children the serious truths of the faith. The church with a capital C in our culture, quite frankly, is teaching adults as if they were children. And teaching children as if they were perennial preschoolers. Children, the bar needs to be set properly for them. If we set the bar too low, that's as far as they will go. The bar needs to be raised, frankly, for all of us, man, woman, and child. And a lot of this does fall on the mother for a very simple practical reason. By and large, not with every case, but by and large, generally, a mother spends more time with the child in those formative years, generally speaking. Not every time, but generally speaking. And those are important years. And there's always been temptations. But the temptations today come at children from so many different angles at such a rapid pace that it's literally overwhelming. It's difficult for a man even to read the sports pages these days. Because you'll find all kinds of horrific ads for all types of immoral activities. On the sports pages... We live in a society that barrages us with everything that is literally anti-Christian. And one of the hallmarks of our society, if I can be frank, is its rank stupidity. Our popular entertainments are coarse. They are intellectually dull. They are mind-numbingly insipid. And we wonder... We wonder why generations are unqualified for the workforce when everything has been watered down for them. We reap what we sow. Mom, listen carefully. That first commandment is your first duty with your children. And listen, it has to be Literally, a 24-7 proposition. It can't be Sunday morning. It can't be Sunday school. I'm telling you as a pastor, it's simply not enough. One hour a week, an hour and a half a week can only do so much. It has to be modeled in the mother and the family's life. It has to be shown to be real and practical and effective. It will not do. It will be counterproductive. It will be disastrous if children watch their mothers or their fathers or their aunts or their uncles behave a certain way for one hour on Sunday and then act completely differently the other six days of the week. Even six and a half days. They will realize, oh, they really don't believe this. 
This is a show. This is showtime. This is fake. And then we wonder why, as they grow into their later high school and college years, they simply walk away from the faith and don't return except on Christmas and Easter. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, before I put too much pressure on you, Mom, let me clarify something. You need to listen very carefully to this. It is not your responsibility to work faith in your children. It is not your responsibility to work faith in your children because that's an impossibility. That's not your purview. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Holy Spirit's area of expertise. That is his responsibility. Your responsibility is to be the instrument, literally, by which information comes to the child. But the Holy Spirit... He is the ultimate teacher. He is the one who applies the work of Christ to the child's heart. But he doesn't do it willy-nilly, and he's not going to talk to them in their bedrooms. God has given us that privilege, that honor. It's sad that I have to come up with cute titles for my sermons, so I came up with Mom's First Duty. A few days later, I realized, oh, it should have been a Mom's First Honor. And I thought, hmm, mom's first privilege really is even more better. It's a great privilege to be a mother. It's a great honor to be a Christian mother. Do you realize that the hours you spend with your child are precious? Do you realize that your children are precious in the sight of the Lord? Do you realize that, yes, it is your duty, but it's a great privilege and honor to be able to speak the truth to your children To show them, look, this is the one God. This is who we serve. And we have to show them that it will cost us something to remain faithful in this world. This table shows us that the way is not easy. If it was easy, more folks would be doing it. It's hard to be a faithful Christian. In our world, it's always been hard to be a faithful Christian in the world. It always will be. That table, what it represents, is not the way of ease and comfort. Putting to death sin is hard work. But it's so much better if the child doesn't learn a particular sin. Then it doesn't have to be put to death. It seems like ancient history but it was only 20 years ago when a soon to be famous Hillary Clinton made that famous statement well I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas and as Cal Thomas said oh there's a clear knock on traditional motherhood You see, today's mother has an extra added pressure to her. She has to be successful in the world and successful at home. The Lord doesn't require that of mothers. Let me be frank. That's primarily a father's duty. We'll get to you in a few weeks, boys. And recently, another 
semi-famous Hillary said something about Mitt Romney's wife. That she couldn't relate to average women because she had, quote-unquote, never worked a day in her life. Well, she did rear five children, five boys. Now, the Romneys have money. I'm sure she had some help. But five boys are still five boys. Motherhood is under attack. It's under attack. But I want to tell you that no matter what the world thinks of you, Mom, God values you. Your office and your station of motherhood, don't let anyone ever disparage it. Don't let anyone ever put it down, even your husband. Dads, you don't have any right to disparage your wife's station. You don't. You have the responsibility of upbuilding and uplifting that station. Because motherhood is difficult. If you don't believe me, spend an afternoon with your children trying to be a mother, Dad. You'll be exhausted by the end of the day. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be crazy. You don't have the mommy gene. It's just not there. We're not good at mothering. We're fathers. Mothering literally is mothering. Fathering is fathering. They're related, but different. Mom, teach your children to understand and obey that first commandment. Because if they do that, if they trust in Christ, if they believe the gospel, and they walk in the light of God's law, no matter how difficult it may be, at the end of their lives, no matter what the world says about them, God will tell them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is your only job. To do everything you can to make certain from a human perspective that your children get to heaven. That clarifies things very, very quickly. What does Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? The world is not our oyster, and oysters don't even taste all that good very often. We need to give our children the pearl of great price, which is the first commandment, which is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let us pray. Almighty God, that is a tall order for any of us. And we can only do that by your grace. So we ask that you would grant us the grace that we need to remain faithful to you who has proven faithful to us. In your son's precious name, amen.